Good morning. If you have your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, or if you have the Version Bible app on your phone, you can actually follow along uh, with us on there. Um, the bulletin that you have is also on Version. Uh, if you go to where it says more on the bottom of the screen once you open it, uh, click on events and search for Cornerstone Community Church. Uh, no water, you should be able to find it and follow along on there as well. And it has all the scriptures in order on that. Uh, God is truly good. Um, he is. If you were to ask me a couple of days ago, uh, are you going to have a voice to be able to share the word? I probably would have said no. Uh, I've been battling the same cold and sickness as it seems like everybody else is. Uh, but God is good. It is by his grace and his spirit that I have a voice. But if I sniffle or my voice cracks up, please forgive me in that. Uh, last week we started, and we've been going through the book of Exodus over the last several weeks, and last week we started with the Ten Commandments. And the first four commandments are really this, uh, these decrees, these commands, and how we are to have relationship with God, right? Like, uh, this is how we should uh, be in our relationship to him. You know, no other gods but him. He is the one and only. There is no other God but our God. But yet there are these things that we call gods that are in our lives, right? The, the God of materialism, uh, things like that. These things that we go after, that we seek after, that we give our obsessions to, our worship to. Uh, and, you know, he said, no idols. And yet we struggle with that, don't we? The idol of lust, the idol of greed, all these things uh, that we struggle with. He uh, tells us to, uh, you know, don't use the Lord's name in vain. And it's, we do that often more than we think. And, and we have this mindset, well, as long as I don't use uh, his name and before a curse word, then I'm fine. But it's more than that. To use the Lord's name in vain is to say, oh, hey, I, I believe in the Lord, I trust in the Lord, but yet your life doesn't show it. You are completely opposite of what the word says. If you are putting your faith in him, if you say you believe in him, you will live out his decrees, his commands. You will do what it is he tells you to do. Keep the Lord's day holy. We are to make being together, worshiping together, celebrating together a priority. And a lot of times it's something that gets pushed to the back burner. Oh, I'm busy or I have this. And this idea of keeping the Lord's day holy, you know, using it as a day to serve him, to worship him is important. And so we move this morning out of these first four commands that are really about our relationship to him. And now we move into this area of our relationship with others, our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, the people we do life with each and every day, the people that are around us, how are we to be in relationship with one another? And that's where we pick up this morning. That's where these commands really um, affect us today. And these things, again, much like the uh, first four last week, these are very relevant and important for today. And so we're going to start in verse 12. In verse 12, it says this, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, parents, I know what you're thinking, and I know what you want to do right now. You want to turn to your kid, and you want to say, it says it right there, 
listen, do what I tell you to do. But be careful, parents, because you might turn around and your parents sit in there and they're saying, hey, look, look what it says. You need to listen to me. But you see, it goes much deeper than this. The word here that's used for honor, it's a word that means respect and it applies obedience, submission to them. This was an important commandment to honor your father and mother. This is a very important thing. You see, parents were God's instruments to teach their children about the ways of God, to meet the needs of their children, to uh, nurture and care for their kids. If you're a parent, you are an instrument of God used to share the word of God with your family. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen through 21 reminds us of this. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Matter of fact, this was such a big deal that to dishonor parents, to dishonor your mother and father would not be acceptable when it wasn't acceptable, but it was a capital offense. It was a capital offense to dishonor your mother and father. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 15 and 17, says anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9, it says anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Because they have cursed their father or mother, their blood will be on their own head. And what's interesting is in the same verse, we see that there's this idea of a longevity that comes from honoring your father and mother. Now, this longevity, it's not in regards to each person, although that would make sense because if you honor your father and mother, you don't get put to death. So there's longevity in your life in the fact that you're not going to be put to death. But this longevity, it's, it's not just a longevity in your life. It's this idea of a longevity of a nation. It's this longevity of this nation, this idea of a nation being in a covenant relationship with God. Parents, if you're teaching your children the ways of the Lord, the scripture, you're providing for them, and they're giving you honor and respect that God calls them to give to you, then guess what? Your kids are going to show honor and respect to authority around them. That's how this works. If you show your kids, if you teach your kids the way that they should live according to the word, then guess what? They are going to replicate that. Proverbs tells us that. Proverbs 22.6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And this would continue to bring longevity to the covenant relationship that God's people had with God. Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. And you see, this command, it's not just an Old Testament command. It, we see it mentioned again in the New Testament. Paul mentions this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, when he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, 
so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And so what do we need to do? Well, we need to listen to our fathers, our mothers, grandfather, grandfather, grandmother, those who are our parents, those who raise us, who take care of us. We need to listen to what they share. Proverbs 1.8, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. You see, this morning I can't speak as a parent, but I can speak as somebody who's a son, an uncle, a youth leader. Being a parent has a lot of weight to it. To take care of what God has entrusted you with is hard. It's a lot of trusting and relying on God, relying on the Holy Spirit. Your parents deserve the honor that God is telling you to give them here. And we honor our mother and father, grandfather, grandmother, all of those who take care of We honor them in our actions and in the words that we say. And so I turn my attention here for a moment. If you're a student this morning, I get it. I get it. I understand I was a, a kid once. I mean, I get it. Parents are boring, right? Like parents are, they're just trying to mess up your plans. They're just trying to tell you you can't do anything fun, right? Like that's all parents are doing when they're telling you, hey, you should do this or you should do this. That's all they're doing, right? Is just trying to make your life boring or miserable. That's what we think sometimes, isn't it? Man, I get it. I said that a few times. I told my parents, and you're just trying to keep me from doing anything fun. I would tell them how horrible I thought they were. I would tell them how miserable they were making me by not letting me do these things that I wanted to do. But trust me, looking back on it, I'm thankful for the decisions that they made. I realize how big now their task was, and it still is. It still is. Maybe you're here this morning, you're an adult. You know you still honor your parents, right? You honor your parents and how you talk about them and how you talk to them, how you listen to their advice. I still seek every opportunity I have to seek the advice of my parents, the wisdom that they have. And here's the thing. They're human. They make mistakes. We all make mistakes. We all fall short. Sometimes your mother and father are going to say things that you don't agree with, but we are still to show them honor. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, my, I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I didn't grow up with parents that read the word. I didn't grow up with parents who taught me about God's word. I, I grew up in a rough background. How, how do I show them honor? Well, remember, first of all, if you are a believer, you're to follow the word of God first. And so you always make sure that if they tell you to do something that's not in the word, you still have to follow what the word says first. But you know you can still honor them. You can still show them respect and how you handle difficult situations with them. To do the right thing, to uh, show grace and a godly attitude to a parent who isn't a believer, you still can honor your mother and father. I think we need to remember Paul's words in Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And so are we making sure that we honor our mother and father? It continues in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. It says, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. And you see, the importance of this command was twofold. It's hard to preserve a society when you're killing those around you. 
right? Like if you want a society to continue, uh, killing the people around you is probably not going to help with that. But most importantly, number two, is this understanding that people are created in the image of God. And that's why God is telling them, do not kill those around you. Do not murder because these people around you, your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors, they are also made in the image of God. This speaks to the sanctity of life. And scripture makes this clear in Genesis 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. But there's something that we need to clarify here. Some translations use the word kill rather than murder. And this has created some confusion to people. What is the, the difference here? The Hebrew word here is a word rasah. And this word, it, it means to slay. And it carries with it the idea of personal killings and not those of judicial or war. And you see, we see examples in Scripture where people were told to put someone to death, either in a judicial sense or a time of war. Go back to our passage in Genesis 9-6. Whoever sheds human blood by human shall their blood be shed. And we see examples of war all throughout the Old Testament. War is a thing that is very prevalent still in our world today. But what this commandment is saying is do not commit senseless murder. And sadly, we see so much of this today. It's hard to get on social media or turn on the news or read the newspaper or listen to the radio or just hear about it, hearsay from people around you. Sad stories of tragedies, sad stories of murder that takes place all around us. You can go to the CDC website and you can look up homicide mortality rates as of 2021. And you see such a large number. But where do these things come from? Well, it comes from things like anger, greed, jealousy. All these things lead people to breaking this command. And you may be here this morning and you're saying, okay, I'm good on this. I don't... I don't feel like killing anyone, so I'm good. How does this apply to me? Well, Matthew chapter 5, 21 and 22, it says it like this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, And this word, it's a word that means empty-headed. It implied a person was stupid or inferior. It was answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 1 John 3, verse 15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. You see, we may not commit murder, but guess what? We harbor in our hearts things such as anger, bitterness, and greed. And what does that grow into? That grows into hate. And we hear this phrase used so often, I hate. It's become so casual. It's become something that we just say, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this person for what they've done to me. I hate this person because of the mistake they made in my life. I hate this person. We use this word so casually that it just rolls off the tongue. I hate. We use it so much, don't we? 
read a quote the other day from a guy named Francis Frangipane. I hope I'm pronouncing that last name right. It was kind of a tongue twister, but he said this. Too many Christians become bitter and angry in the conflict. If we descend into hatefulness, we have already lost the battle. We must cooperate with God in turning what was meant for evil into a greater good within us. This is why we bless those who would curse us. It is not only for their sakes, but to preserve our own soul from its natural response toward hatred. And so here is the question. Are we keeping our hearts from hatred? Are we keeping our hearts from anger, bitterness, jealousy, greed, the things that stir up in our soul that turns to hatred and is later directed to the people around us? We may not be committing murder, but we use that word, I, that phrase, I hate, an awful lot. Are we guarding our hearts from hatred? Continuing in verse 14. It says, you shall not commit adultery. And while the last commandment protected the sanctity of life, this one is all about protecting the sanctity of marriage. Adultery, it refers to infidelity on the part of a man or a woman. Those who committed adultery could have been executed for this. Leviticus 20.10, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Deuteronomy 22.22, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. He must purge the evil from Israel. You see, even if it did not bring death, consequences always come from it. Proverbs 6.24-29, keeping you from your neighbor's wife from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. And you see there's some confusion that comes from this. This is in the Old Testament where we read this, and yet in the Old Testament we see several times where we have events that involve polygamy. And the truth is, there are moments in Scripture where polygamy was allowed by God, but make no mistake, it was never endorsed by God. And there are several instances where the decision to live that lifestyle got the people into trouble. By the time we come to the New Testament, God's ideal for marriage is more in line with what we see here in the Old Testament, in this command. And God's design for marriage was instituted all the way back at the beginning. Genesis 2, 23 through 24, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they may become one flesh. And oh man, this is a thing that people think they can sidestep today. That there's loopholes, that there's ways around this. You know, I don't love my spouse anymore. I'm attracted to this person. All I got to do is get a divorce and be with this person. Luke 16, 18. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Or maybe it's the mindset. As long as I look but don't act then I'm okay. As long as I look, but I don't act, then I'm fine. That's the, I can get around this. Matthew 5, 27, 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
And you see, Scripture reminds us that we need to remember to flee from sexual immorality and adultery, not run towards it. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Hebrews 13.4, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And we see we live in a world that is filled with this. We live in a world that is filled with sexual immorality. We live in a world where it's at our fingertips. Pornography makes more money than all major sports combined. It's right there with the click of a button. That temptation is all around us. And the question is, are we protecting our marriages, our relationships to avoid adultery? Continuing in verse 15, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. This is our next commandment that we see here. And this commandment, it's all about respecting your neighbor's property, the sanctity of your neighbor's property. You see, the penalty for this in some ancient Near Eastern places was death. If you stole anything, you died. But in the Old Testament, it was really a, the punishment was restitution. And actually, it was to be paid back at least twice what was taken. Exodus chapter 22, verse 9, In all cases of illegal possession of an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, or any other lost property about which somebody says, This is mine, and both parties are to bring their cases before the judges, the one whom the judges declare guilty must pay back double to the other. And of course, this is a command that makes its way into the New Testament as well. In Ephesians 4:28, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Jesus even calls back to this in Matthew 19, verse 18. And you may be here thinking this morning, I don't steal, so I'm good. I don't really, I don't steal. I don't take things that are, I, I don't do that, so I'm good. You know, I... I've uttered that thought myself too, but you know what? I'll never forget when I was a kid, when I learned what it meant to steal. I didn't know what it meant. I went to a mall when I was a little kid. And when I, I thought that a mall was just one giant store, right? Like I, thought, I was used to going to places like Walmart, and I thought like, oh, Walmart is a store. So as long as I carry anything around inside the store, it's not stealing. If I take it out of the store, that's stealing. And so uh, I won't do that. And I was in a mall and we went to the Disney store and I found this flip book. I loved it. And I was like, oh, oh, I, I want this. And so I followed my parents out of the store and I'm still holding on to this little flip book. And we get halfway across the mall and I'm like, mom, mom, can you get this for me? And she's like, where did you get that from? And I was like, I got it from the Disney store. And she's like, how did you pay for it? I'm like, I didn't pay for it. That's why I'm asking you, can you pay for this? And and she was like, you're not, you're not supposed to do that. That's a store. I'm like, this whole place is a store. No, this is a mall. There are stores inside this giant place. That was the day I learned what it meant to steal. And I had to go back and apologize and tell them I was sorry. But I've said that to myself, right? Like, I, I don't intend to, I don't, so what does this have to do with me? You realize we steal often, don't you? We do. We just don't think about it. You get paid to do a job and find yourself slacking off at work. 
you're just there and you're not really doing anything. You know, you're stealing from your employer. Do you find yourself being late to everything? Punctuality is important, and you know that could be considered as stealing somebody's time. Man, I see people who watch pirated movies all the time. That's stealing. You ever borrowed something with no intention to return it? It happens. That's theft. Teachers. There's some teachers in this room this morning, and you have probably seen an example of this. Uh, What is it called when you take words that aren't your own and you try to pass them off as your own? Plagiarism. Plagiarism is stealing words that are not our own. And let's talk about this for a second. It's an uncomfortable truth, but you realize that we steal from God often. I mean, think about it. God blesses us with gifts that we need to serve him. and, And instead of being grateful and giving him glory and honor, we take the credit for everything that is in our lives, right? Like everything that I have is because of me, because of what I have done. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. We steal the glory that God should be given. Or how about this? God blesses us with the things that we need each and every day to do life, right? He provides us with clothes. He provides us with food for our body, with water, the things that we need to survive. He gives us a bed. He gives us a house. We have the things that we need, and God blesses us with the, the finances we need to pay our bills. And, and yet we say, okay, I'm going to keep these all for myself and never give back to him. We steal from him in the way of tithes and offerings. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are, you robbing, or how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. And so we may think, oh, I don't steal. I have no intention of stealing, but yet we do it more than we would care to admit. And so the question I would ask is, are we guarding our hearts from that desire to take what is not Ours? Are we honoring the sanctity of the, the property that our neighbors around us have? And then we continue on in verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not give false testimony. And this is a phrase that we tend to view in just kind of a court setting, isn't it? Like, oh, this is, this is like a court setting. If we go to court, we're not supposed to give false testimony about somebody. It's just being honest about what we saw or what took place. That's what we think of. But this goes much deeper than this. This is the idea of saying things that are not true about somebody to harm or damage them and their reputation. And this word for neighbor, it could mean a couple of things. It can mean associate. It can mean a brother, a companion, a fellow, a friend, a husband, wife, a neighbor. Really, this idea is this idea of lying about others, lying about those around us. And Paul reminds us in the New Testament that we aren't supposed to lie. Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. 
Ephesians 4.25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And so, why shouldn't we lie? Why shouldn't we lie? Well, for starters, if we want to reflect the character of God, we are, as we are supposed to, he does not lie. Does God lie? No, he doesn't. Everything he says is true, and he follows through on everything he says. God is not a liar, and so if God is not a liar, and we want to reflect his character, then we should not lie. Numbers twenty-three nineteen. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God is not a liar, therefore we should not lie. Second thing is, lies hurt. Lies hurt. We're called to love those around us. This would mean that we don't make up things about them or gossip about them to hurt their reputation. And yet, we know that in a small town, this happens more often than it should, does it not? We talk about others. We talk about what we've heard about others. We pass along what we've heard about others, whether or not we've actually tried to talk to those people first. No, we just hear something and we pass it around. It's like the game telephone, right? Like I tell this person and then they tell this person and then they tell this person. And then a reputation is shattered. And the sad thing is, church, we do this to each other. We do this to each other. We gossip about the people who sit in the chairs around us. Oh, did you hear about this person? Did you hear what they said? Did you hear what they did? And I can tell you stories after stories after stories of people that I've heard from in ministry who lost their ministry because somebody was angry with something they said or somebody didn't like something they did. And what did they do? They go and tell everybody something that's not true. And later it comes out, hey, it wasn't true. But guess what? By that point, that person's reputation is already ruined and there's no opportunity for them to get into ministry again because there's just too much baggage that comes with hiring somebody who may or may not have done what was said. And this is a struggle that if we're to be completely honest with ourselves, we struggle with this. We say things about people before ever talking. We make things up. Words hurt. Lies hurt. Lies can be destroying. And here's the other reason why. We won't be deemed as trustworthy. And if we're not trustworthy, if we people recognize us as people who lie about everything, then how are we ever going to be able to share the truth? If you're known for being somebody who makes things up, if you're known as being somebody who says things that are not true, then how are you ever going to be able to share the gospel with those around you if you're not trustworthy? And so we need to be people who tell the truth. We don't spread false things. We don't spread false testimony. And we move into verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so here, this last commandment, do not covet. We find a commandment that is both a summary of commandments 6 through 9, but something that is so much deeper than just a recap. The word for covet, it means to lust after or to long for with great desire. And this gets at the lust and greed and envy that we don't want to admit is in our hearts. But it's there, if we're honest. 
Too often we desire, we lust for the things of this world and we become so obsessed with getting more and more of what we want that it becomes all that we desire. I really want this. I really want this. It becomes our obsession. It becomes our passion and we become this person that all we want is all these things that the world offers. But the New Testament, it reminds us that we need to guard our hearts and to be careful of these things. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 12, verse 15 through 21. It says, Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how you will be, or this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Ephesians 5.3 reminds us, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. And you remember how last week we talked about no idols? Well, look what Paul says in Colossians. Colossians 3, 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And we do this, right? We worship stuff. We worship stuff. We want stuff. We need stuff. We desire stuff. We want more and more stuff. We want all of the stuff. Lawrence Richard puts it this way, to want anything which God has chosen to give another reveals a failure to give God priority in our lives. When all we see is what others have and we just desire that and want that and it becomes an obsession of ours, we're not giving God priority in our lives. And so these commands, these commandments, these, uh, you know, five through ten There's a theme here, one central kind of theme that ties these together, and it's this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of these commandments we have talked about this morning are summed up in this. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And this is important, right? Jesus told us this in Matthew. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul tells us this exact thing in Romans chapter 13, verse 9. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so by following these commandments, we show our love for those who are around us. And why is this important? 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so, how we love others shows the love of God in us. Do the people around us see that love? Do they see that love in the way we respect the sanctity of marriage, the way we respect the sanctity of life, the way we uh, respect the sanctity of, of people's possessions? Do we respect people 
in the way we treat them, in the way that we love them. I think John Hanna sums up these Ten Commandments nicely. He says, These commandments are the fundamental statements of a good and wholesome society as ordered by the holy and righteous God. Though believers today are not under the law, they are under obligation to abide by the holy standards represented in the Ten Commandments. There's morality in these things that if we follow them, if we live by them, then we would be in a much better place. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning. And as they come up, the thing that I think of when I think about these commandments is that I think about a God who cares for us. I think about a God who cared for his people, a God who wanted his people, a God who wants us to live for him, a God who wants us to display the image of the one who created us and the way we live and the things that we say and the things that we do. I think that these commandments are from a God who cares about his people and wants them to do what is right, to do what is holy. But here's the truth. We know that we fail in every single one of them. There is not a single one of these commandments that we keep the way we're supposed to. We worship other gods. We worship idols. We don't live our lives for him when we claim that we do follow him. We don't keep the Lord's day holy. We, we don't honor our parents the way we should. We hate those around us. Man, sexual immorality is all around us. We still, we give, or we lie about the people around us. We fall short in all of these areas in one way or another. But here's the thing. The same God who gave us these commandments, the same God who gave us this list of virtues for a holy life, these list of things that we should do in order to bring him glory, in order to live a life that is morally sound and right, the things that he gave us here, he knew that we were going to fall short. He knew that we were going to stumble. He knew that we couldn't, we couldn't live up to the bar that had been set. And so what did he do? He loved us so much that he sent his son for us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And if you're here this morning and you have never experienced this love, then you can this morning. You can experience that love. You can give your life to him. You can go before him, kneel before him. You can pray to him. You can say, God, I've made these mistakes. I've never given my life to you. And I feel like, and I just have so much brokenness. I have so much stuff in me. There's no possible way that you could love me, but yet he does. And you do, God, and I give my life to you. If you've never experienced that, you can this morning. On your connect card, you can write that down. I'd love to talk with you. Or if you want to come up here, I'd love to talk with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking of this list of things and now you're seeing, man, I have fallen short. I have fallen short in this regard. I have fallen short in this area of my life. I never thought about it. I just thought, oh, do not steal. Okay, I don't steal, but yet we steal in other ways. You might have been thinking, no, I I don't want to murder anybody, but we think now, oh, wait a minute, what we say 
to those around us, the way we act towards around us, the anger, the bitterness that we have in our hearts for others around us, that can be just the same thing. And you're seeing this and you're saying this morning, I just need to go before God and I need to lay these things at his feet. And guess what? This morning we can receive the grace of God. We can go before him. We can give these things to him and we can pray and we can ask for forgiveness. So right where you're sitting, you can pray for forgiveness for those mistakes. You can ask for a, a renewed heart, a clean heart. You can come up here and pray. I'd love to pray with you. There's brothers and sisters here who would love to pray with you. This morning, are we loving our neighbors as ourselves? Are we following these commandments? Are we living by these commandments? And when we fall short, are we going before God and asking for his forgiveness that only can come from him? If you're here this morning and you have a decision to make, I pray that you would do so as we're going to stand and sing.